The father of postmodernism is Friedrich Nietzsche, a German philosopher. But there was something that, that Nietzsche introduced, and it was called perspectivism. Meaning that when you look at truth, it's relative to the perspective of the one who's considering. A good definition or a good working definition of perspectivism is all knowledge is a matter of perspective and interpretation. So now think about this. If I'm talking about truth and I come with the perspective approach, then I say truth is relative to my own observation or and or my own interpretation. And if we're determining our own truth, how accurate is that truth? Because we as human beings are limited by our own experiences. Pastor Martin continues his sermon series, Necessity of a Biblical Worldview. And today he discusses maintaining a biblical worldview. Follow along in Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 25, as Pastor Martin explains. Today is the fourth installment of our series, and it's entitled Maintaining a Biblical Worldview. We understand that it's important to maintain because maintenance is always going to be a part of keeping something running well. Each one of us that has a vehicle, you understand that at some point you've got to do some maintenance. You can drive all you want, but at some point you're going to need to buy some tires you're going to need to change the oil. You may, you're going to need to repair or replace some parts because over time, as things continue to go on, you can easily lose performance in your vehicle. It's important for us to understand that after we have established, we spent the last couple of weeks looking at affirming this sense of a biblical worldview. But once you've established that there is a need and that you have one or that you're forming one, you then have to understand that you're going to have to make sure you maintenance that biblical worldview because the world is ever changing. The philosophies and ideologies of the world are continuing to change even as we sit here today. It's important to understand that non-biblical worldviews and philosophies that are out there, they don't just sit in a library in books waiting for somebody to go in and check them out and study. That ultimately we are being bombarded every day with commercials and media. We're being bombarded with ideas and philosophies that, that are coming out of this sense of a non-biblical worldview. And the importance of us continue to do that is because these truths, these ideas are combative with the truth. And they are being accepted as truth in the place where truth belongs. So then ultimately when someone says, hey, I want to share the truth with you, the person says, well, I already have truth. That's just your truth. So it's important for us to see how as we are being bombarded on a daily basis, it can, we can easily not realize that we are being influenced by ideas that don't align with Scripture. Because the subtlety of the, the, the process, think about this. Uh, we've all celebrated Thanksgiving uh, this week, and maybe you ate all that you needed and all that somebody else with you needed. You did your part and their part. 
I know I did. I was wondering if this thing would button up today, but I thank God it does. But, but when you're sitting there having filled yourself, and then you're watching television, and then you look and you see someone with a Big Mac, and it looks so good, then you think, I still am hungry. Because ultimately, the messages that are being sent can be, been, be sent to us and deposited in our subconscious, even when we're not aware. So watching a movie, and something becomes common for you. Listening to a song and something becomes common because the message is there, but there's something that draws you in that supersedes the message. Because we live in a selfish and fallen world that all of these ideologies that that speak to the flesh or they, they appeal to our fleshly man, they become attractive to us because they speak to something that's already there. The sin nature that God has said, I'm born in you again and I'm, I'm, I'm gradually and continually sanctifying you and killing off that old way and raising up this new way. But these messages appeal to the old man. So sadly, so often we're not even aware that these things have happened. Because we integrate them into our understanding of the world. And they become a part of how we function without realizing what they're doing to move us away from our biblical worldview. Which is why we have to maintenance or maintain. Good tires, they'll tell you you got 50,000 miles on them. But depending on how you drive, They may not last that long. In the same goals for your biblical worldview. You have it, but depending on what you've been influenced by, it may not last as long as it should. So thus we need to continue to come back because the question that I want to ask you today is do Christians fall into sin patterns simply because they are weak when they're tempted? Or did it begin much earlier with seductive allure in media, songs, and other means? Is it simply that we're just weak or is it that there's already been seeds planted. There's already been things that have been dropped into our subconscious that begin to manifest when the opportunity presents itself. The brother who listens all day about having a side gig. He picks up on the cues that, hey, this is how you could keep the side gig gigging. Y'all act like you don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Somebody else other than the woman he walked down the aisle to see. So here's the thing, because ultimately these things could just be deposits. I'm not thinking about it today. It ain't my plan today. But because it's been deposited, at some point it has an opportunity to manifest. Things that don't align with scripture. 
So what we, we want to do today is I want to establish that there are some views that have influenced many of the philosophies that we hear and see in our modern day uh, uh, textbooks, as we see even in our movies and so forth. It's modernism and postmodernism. These modern, modernist or postmodernist views have, be, have infiltrated much of what we understand. So first to start with modernism, modernism rose in the, night, the late 19th and 20th, early 20th century, and it was based upon uh, around the time in which we had uh, some major changes in the world. First, we had uh, the rise in industry. We also had a rise in uh, people gathering in large cities, whereas most people were out living in smaller towns. We had a rise in those that are coming into major metropolises and beginning to now share different ideas. So then there's also that, 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 that preceded modernism, the tragedy that we saw of World War I, all of the devastation so all of this is happening around that time, and that preceded what we call the time of modernism. Because of the combination of these things, these other, and there are other factors that were there, but these are major times we can go back and look historically and say, this is about the time that modernism began to take shape. So now we begin to think differently. We begin to think and shift our perspective and begin to label ourselves as being more modern or more advancing. Think about the fact that we had the first car being made, and then at some point, Ford figured out how to create a, an assembly line and this idea of progression and being able to do things quicker or better. That time, we call modernism. Now, there's a couple things to know about modernism that are mainstays and are very critical things that you would note about the, the season or time of modernism. And that is religious skepticism began to take, take form and also atheism. The question of what, questioning of whether there is actually God. Then we have what's called postmodernism. And as, as is stated, post meaning after modernism, postmodernism is, is a philosophical approach that describes the current era that we live in now. So we live in the postmodern era. Now, for modern, from modernism, we got postmodernism. And the, the father of postmodernism is Friedrich Nietzsche, a German philosopher. Now, Nietzsche influenced some key thinkers like Sigmund Freud and Max Weber. As we begin to understand that this sense of thinking, but there was something that, that Nietzsche introduced, and it was called perspectivism. Meaning that when you look at truth, it's relative to the perspective of the one who's considering the best, a good definition or a good working definition of perspectivism is all knowledge is a matter of perspective and interpretation. 
So now think about this. If I'm talking about truth and I come with the perspective approach, then I say truth is relative to my own observation or and or my own interpretation. This is important because, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, that God made man to be theocentric, meaning that man is supposed to be focused on God and that all he does should be around this sense of relationship with him and pleasing him. When we go back and we look in the Garden of Eden, we find that Adam and Eve, when God says, Adam, where are you? Notice that God is reaching out to him, calling for him, but he naturally understands that what he's done has not pleased God, and instantly he realizes something is wrong. Even before God speaks to him, he's just calling for him, and he's hiding. And then God says, why are you hiding? So we understand that as God designed mankind, he designed us with this idea that he would be at the heart and the center of man's life and that man would live life for his glory. That's why we're the only part of his creation that understands when we worship. The Bible says in Psalm 150 that let everything that has <gasps> praise God. So that says that everything that <gasps> can praise God, but God said, but Jesus said, the father is not seeking praise. He's seeking worship because worship constitutes knowledge of relationship of, and also context of, because if the cow is mooing his praise, he don't know he's praising. However, but when you say praise God, you have context for why you praise him. We were singing about his goodness because he has been good and we recognize it. But here's what the Bible says, that God even feeds the sparrow and the sparrow don't even know. That when he goes out and you threw some bread out there, he went and got some crumbs, that that was God in you putting the crumbs down to feed him. So he might praise, but he doesn't recognize. So, that, so the way we've been, we've been approaching this is by asking some big questions and then hope, working to answer those questions. So our first big question for the day is, what are the dangers of postmodernism? What are the dangers of postmodernism? The first danger that we want to deal with is relative truth. The first danger, as we said, that Nietzsche introduced this idea of perspectivism. So then that says that truth is relative. So here's the reality that we face now that some may say, excuse me, that that's true for you, but that's not true for me. When you say that Jesus is the son of God, someone says because truth is relative, that is your truth. It's not the truth. It is your truth because it's true for you, but it's not necessarily true for me. So here's a common expression that we find in this, with this perspective. If you believe it, it's true for you. But if I don't believe it, it's not true for me. Have you been talking to someone about Jesus? And they said, yeah, that's, that's good. 
I'm glad you believe that. I'm glad you got, I'm glad you got some faith, Beverly. I'm glad you believe in something. Everyone should believe in something. Because ultimately, the expression is that that may be true for you. But it's not true for me. Relative truth also rejects a meta-narrative. A meta-narrative. A meta-narrative is that there is a truth that transcends all people and all cultures. This idea that there's one God who speaks truth and has spoken truth, and that truth is to be embraced by every man, every woman, no matter what planet, no matter where they are on the planet, no matter what cultural context they have, that there's a meta-narrative that there's just one truth, and that truth has been designated and determined by God. But relative truth says that there can be a narrative, a meta-narrative, because the common expression there is that that's fine if God exists for you. But he can't, he can't speak truth because to me he doesn't exist. Danger number two, a loss of a sense of discernment. Simply put by definition, discernment speaks of the capability of being able to distinguish from this and that. So when we begin to understand that, that there is this sense in, 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 in the context of relative truth that how do I determine something to be true or not without first establishing a standard? Because with this lost sense of, of discernment, we also lose the ability to be, to, to be objective and to have any absolutes because everything is subject to interpretation and perspective. So here's something to consider. The postmodern approach makes it impossible to make meaningful or lasting distinctions between interpretation because there is no standard that can be used. So it's impossible to have anything last because it's based upon the interpretation at the time or the interpretation of the individual. So when Jesus steps out and says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light, no man can come to my father except through me, then that is relative, but that is the basis of salvation. That God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Look at this Romans chapter 1 and let's look at verse 21 and 22. But I want to read it from the New Living Translation. Hear this. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God. Or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. I mentioned three very prominent thinkers that are influencing our postmodern society. 
Sigmund Freud, Max Weber, Frederick Nietzsche. Frederick influenced Freud and Weber. He's considered like a forefather to the postmodern ideology. So when we consider this, that these are big thinkers. And yet scripture speaks of me of becoming fools because of the ideas that are drummed up about who God is or what he's like rather than how he's revealed himself. The, th- the third danger of postmodern ideology would be that there's pluralism. With pluralism, no religion has the right to pronounce itself to be true. The pluralist says that all means of faith are means to get to God. Some of our most influential persons that that have influenced even our thinking. One very popular African-American talk show host was asked the question or posing the question, how do we get to God? And the response she gave was, there are many ways to get to God. It's important because we have to understand religion is man's effort to reach God. But the problem with religion is that religion can be anything that has beliefs and practices that follow. We could declare as a group of people that somehow there's something divine about this array. And begin to pray to it, have practices of believe that if we need help, we need to talk to it. We can begin to have certain times that we gather to dance around it. And ultimately, we have just created a religion. Because it is man's means by which he seeks to Get to God. That's why Jesus came and and, and diffused all of that thinking by saying, God is not looking for religion. He's looking for relationship. Because he speaks about being sons and daughters and not just be attendees or participants. So pluralism says that there is no religion that can pronounce itself to be true. Or the religion. Here's a problem. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 says it this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. And here's what 1 John chapter 5 verse 7 says. Uh, there are, for there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are. So here we see that there's a one God who's declaring himself and revealing himself to be the one true God, and here's the key, who's the father of Jesus. Because there are those who do believe in one God, but don't believe that Jesus is his son. We understand the, who, the one true God 
through the one son, the one begotten son, who the word of God says, who, who came, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld him as the son of God. So pluralism. Now, there is a means for responding to these ideas. And that means we call Christian apologetics. Christian apologetics, apologetics. the mission of Christian apologetics is to, is to combat the movements that are promoting ideology and thoughts that work against or dispel, works to dispel the Christian truth. What we understand to be true based upon scripture. So then you ask the question, well, pastor, I know that that's philosophy, but what is actually, so our next big question for the day is then what is apologetics? Here's the, here's the answer. The word, the word apologetics comes from uh, the English word apology. Apologize or to, means to defend. So this idea of us defending the faith, that we understand what we believe and then rather than acquiesce to what is being influenced at the time because times are changing. Rather than acquiesce, we then defend. Now, not defenders like fussers and, and arguers. You know, drawing law, lines in the sand and, 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 and setting up debates. Had that happened to me one time, a brother, he was, he was in a different denomination and he was wanting to save me. Want to save me, brother Charles? So he says he was he was my barber. He said, "Hey man, um, I need to stop by my house." So he 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 runs upstairs. I got to go change my clothes, and so his wife comes with her Bible. I'm just you know we just stopping by. I'm thinking, I'm I'm thinking I'm just sitting here on the couch waiting for him to change so we can get going. And he she breaks out the Bible. I said, "Brother George, um, what do you know about Jesus?" I did like you would do. He's all right. He's all right. They went into a whole monologue on how we are saved and that, that I wasn't saved because I wouldn't, that I didn't believe this way. So I told him, so I, I, I sat there and I went back and forth with him for a while. And then I just said, guys, listen, I'm not confused about whether I know Jesus. And I'm not confused about whether he knows me. So let's go ahead and shut this down. Amen. So we get to the car and I said, brother, I said, listen, we've been friends for a number of years. And we can continue to do that. But we don't have to have one of these. You don't have to set me up like this because I already know the scriptures. Spend your time with somebody that does know. So we're not talking about defending like going out and trying to pick fights. Meaning to respond, have a response. And it's based upon a key passage of scripture that Peter gives us. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15. Here's what Peter says to us. He says, listen, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Get this word in your heart. Get what you believe in your heart. Understand what you know about scripture and understand it and get it sanctified in your heart or set apart in a special place as truth. Then he says, and always be ready to give 
a defense to everyone who asked. See, I didn't ask him. I thought I'm just riding. I wasn't asking him. He was setting me up. So he says, be ready to give a defense for those who ask. Here it is. The reason for the hope that's in you. When somebody's asking, why do you believe so adamantly about the scriptures and about what the truth says in the Bible? Because I believe it's God's word given to mankind by inspiration of the Holy Spirit through holy men that God chose to use to bring the revelation to us. And if that ain't enough, you ain't going to win no way. Here's, here's something that I want you to understand. Because apologetics responds to a number of things, but I'm going to point out three things that apologetics respond to. One, it responds to the one, the, the one true God of the Bible, that, that the skepticism that, that exists, that the one God who is the one true God is the God of the scriptures. Because there are skeptics that will attack that. So there's skepticism that attacks it. So this idea of perspective, remember, back, going back to perspective, my perspective is that that is one text, the Bible is one text, it's not the text. So I consult other texts to get my truth. But going back to our first verse, go back to verse 20, Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, look what it says. For since the creation of the world his invisible attributes, his, not theirs, not, not a plurality, but one God has been, it's been evident that who he is, that he has revealed himself through what he has done. When you look out and see creation and understand that he is the one that is the creator. It says his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are not without, so that without excuse. He says that, that if we really stop and think about creation, we begin to understand that how could this be except through intelligent design? The idea, ideologies of evolutions and Big Bang, all of those begin to fade because how could God make man who has trillions of code of DNA and then make eight billion of them. And they all have different code because intelligent design that has infinite understanding is the means by which that happens. The next thing that apologetics responds to is the inerrancy of Scripture, of the Bible, because one attack, in order to establish this, this skepticism regarding the Scriptures and who God is, because we understand who God is through the Scriptures, then the, first, then the next step is then discredit the Scriptures and to suggest that they're not reliable. Because if they're not reliable, then they cannot be the truth. And if they're not the truth, then it does not reveal who God is. If it doesn't reveal who God is, then we don't know who Jesus is. Because Jesus, history does record that there was a young man who was executed, who lived in a little town called Nazareth. That's history. 
But the truth is, he wasn't just a young man. He was a son of God. And then when they executed him, he wasn't just dying a tortured death. He was actually dying for the sins of the world. That he was actually, when they nailed him to the cross, he was actually nailing, taking all the sins of mankind and nailing it to the cross. That he might redeem by faith those who would believe. Look at verse 25. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Here it is. And worshiped and served creature rather than creator. We just talked about perspectivism. That even God is subject to my my perspective. Because creature becomes greater than creator when creature determines what truth is. I'll say it again. Creature becomes greater than creator when creature determines what truth is. Because it takes the one who knew before no one began. What, Pastor Martin, what are you talking about? The one who knew before knowing began because before he spoke man into existence or before he created man, he already existed. He was already knowing before he created a man to know. So we understand that truth, when we take and put God within the confines of our own perspective, then we begin to worship creature greater than or more than creator. Because here's what we believe about the Bible. That God, through the Holy Spirit, inspired holy men to author the Bible. So when someone says, well, that's just a man, that's just man's writing. Right. God, through the Holy Spirit, inspired those men to write what we have here. Because here's how Timothy settles, the top, Paul settles the matter with young Timothy in first in, in third uh, in, in uh, second Timothy chapter three verse sixteen he says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction and for instruction in righteousness so if we understand this need of a biblical worldview then we understand that truth is defined by the one who existed before all else that we know and understand existed. There's a mean, there's a method of breaking down scripture or removing or working to remove its, its authority. It's called deconstruction. Deconstruction is the postmodern thinker's assertion that the author of the book does not possess the correct interpretation. Deconstruction says that the author of the book, the one who wrote the book, does not possess the the appropriate or the right interpretation. It is the reader who determines the appropriate or the right interpretation. This is called deconstruction. 
to say that, hey, I, it centers around me and my perspective. And I, no matter who wrote it, I am the one who determines the appropriate or the right meaning of the book. See how dangerous that can be when it comes to the scriptures. That when I come to the Bible and I come to the Bible with this idea of deconstructing and I begin to look for the means in which it is submitted to me rather than I submit to it. So the authorship of the Bible is important because if we understand God is the author, then we then he then has the authority to then speak and declare through his word. And then we have the responsibility to embrace what he says, even when we don't agree. Has anybody ever had a mama say, because I said so? You didn't understand at the time why they were saying so. But what they were doing is saying, hey, you may not fully understand everything that I'm saying, but I need you to do it because I'm telling you to do it. We may not understand everything that God says in his word. But is it our responsibility to make sure we say, okay, God, and even those things that we wrestle with, we must wrestle to submit to. I told you this a few weeks ago. The hardest passage of scripture that I believe in all of the Bible is Romans chapter 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good. Now, when I said that, you thought about some stuff that was not good in your life. Some stuff that, that took you and stretched you as far as you thought you could go. And he says, but in, for, to those who love God, he's working all those things somehow for good. That's tough to believe, isn't it? When you look back and you see that you've been abused, you've been hurt, someone said something, did something to you that left lasting scars. Pain that you still look back and brings tears to your eyes. I may not be able to understand how, but I have to embrace it. If God said it to be true, then I've got to believe it by faith. The last thing apologetics responds to is false teaching and teachers. False teachers who promote false ideologies or doctrines even because understand, as we started out by saying that these influences oftentimes are there. So there are times that there are those who are going to scripture with these philosophies in mind as they read scripture. So then they're looking to find a means for the scripture to fit within the philosophy. Rather than the philosophy being dispelled, being dispelled by scripture. Here's what 2 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter two, 4 verse 2 through 4. It says, Timothy, preach the word. Not philosophies, not ideologies. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. He goes on. For the time will come, postmodernism. A time will come, postmodernism. A time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will, according to their own desires, become because they have itching ears they will heap up for themselves teachers 
heap up means to build up, have large followships, have a lot of likes and a lot of followers, a lot of clicks. They will heap up for themselves teachers who will say the things that I want you to say. And they will turn their ears away from the truth. That concludes our message for today. And we want to thank you for listening to the Amity Bible Church. If you would like to contact us or attend our 630 Wednesday night Bible study, visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.